It's funny how nerve-wracking it is preaching in small groups as opposed to <laughs> Cape and Rose Easy. <laughs> well, I've been given a tiny little subject. How can I forgive? So it should be just five minutes and we'll be off, right? I feel kind of, not heavy, but very, very serious about what we're doing tonight. I, I'm taking this very seriously. Because I believe with all my heart that if Christians would practice the biblical obligation to forgive, we would change the world. The world would be a different place. The world would change. Russell and I have had the privilege of uh, doing different kinds of ministry. Russell was a pastor for seven years up in Windermere. Um, we've just been in various roles over the last nearly 27 years together. And there was a season that we spent quite a lot of evenings with people who were just stuck spiritually, didn't we? There was you know, somebody that just was having problems with her twin sister and her mom, thinking mom favored the sister, you know, woman in her... 30s, but it, she was stuck. Some people um, were horribly, horribly abused when they were younger. Um, all kinds of different things. And all, you know, some were, were just, uh, it was a woman that, that had this massive false guilt. She felt guilty her whole life for something that she hadn't even been responsible for. And, and it was a huge burden. And those are some of the different stumbling blocks that come in our lives. But in every single case of every person we've ever sat down and prayed with about those deep things, every single time there was an area of unforgiveness in their life. It was the one that was just true in every single case. And I think the the very biggest hindrance to our growth and our health in the Christian life, is unforgiveness. It's the thing that stumbles our marriage more than anything else. It's, it gets between mothers and daughters and, and people and our adult parents and brothers and sisters and strangers and people in the supermarket and a million other things. Unforgiveness. So I've got kind of a, a heavy start And I kind of feel like I should apologize for that, but I won't. (laughs) Um, Because this is a heavy heavy topic. So I want uh, to turn to Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 33. Full disclosure, I should have got bifocals. So I can see you, but I can't read. This, I think, is the only way to begin a treatment of the subject of how can I forgive. This is where it starts. Luke 23, 33. And when they came to a place called the skull, there they crucified And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. This is the, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, 
If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. What a scene. And what a thing to say in a scene like that. I'm going to read something that I I, I wrote earlier. And trigger warning if you're feeling vulnerable. This is just what I felt I needed to say to, to help us to see the reality of what was going on there at that place called the skull. This is the one who's commanding us to forgive. Jesus left the worship of angels to enter into his own creation. He came to his own covenant people, and they rejected him. It culminated with an illegal trial where he was declared innocent and still sentenced to death, flogged, stripped of his clothing, and impaled on a cross. He hung there in agony, naked in front of his mother, his auntie, the jeering crowds, and fellow convicts. Below him were the sneering temple priests, still wearing the beautiful robes that he himself had designed to represent his glory. Utterly shamed, scorned, rejected, spat upon, blasphemed, and ridiculed, God then began to heap the sins of the entire world upon him. Every wicked thought, every rebellion, hatred, backbiting, cheating, every time someone had taken advantage of the weak, abused a child, betrayed a spouse, violated the innocent, lied to a judge, disobeyed God, lusted after somebody, misused authority, swindled an old man's life savings, murdered a toddler, or stole a pencil. Every sin ever committed in swanky offices, elegant churches, tidy bedrooms, and filthy basements was dumped onto the innocent Son of God, and those who committed those sins stood there and mocked. And that's when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Here's the question. And I love that I've been given this particular angle, how can I forgive? Because normally we talk about why we should forgive. But this is important because Scripture tells us exactly how Jesus did this. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. <clears throat> this is in the context of unjust suffering in, in Peter Verse 21, for you have been called to this purpose, that is bearing up under unjust suffering, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving this example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept, here it is, kept entrusting himself to him who judges justly. How did Jesus do that? How did Jesus release those people from bitterness? Because he knew that there's a a God who judges justly. Nobody gets away with anything. Oh, sorry. Trying to get away from it. So there are two aspects of forgiveness, I think, that, and we're really only going to talk about one, But one, and the main one, is that it's about releasing people 
from our personal desire for vengeance. Because you know what it's like. If I was on that, I mean, if, if you were in that position, suffering the tiniest little bit of what Christ was suffering at that moment, you would be gritting your teeth, you priests down there in your fancy, fancy robe. Just one day, ooh, I, what I want to do to you. So releasing people from our personal desire for vengeance. And the second aspect, and that's unconditional, by the way. Unconditional. Everyone who's hurt you, everyone, any circumstances, even if they do it a thousand times a day and aren't even sorry, that's something we all need to practice as Christians. Releasing people from our personal desire for vengeance. The second one is conditional, and that's restoration of relationship. What's that dependent upon? Their, their repentance. It's the same with God, isn't it? It's the same with God. He forgives us, but not without our repenting. That's the way that works, and that's how we come into relationship with him. Now, we've just read an account of Jesus practicing that first one. He was releasing those people from his own personal judgment. God will judge you. The Father will judge you. There is a judge. So I had a little, um, well, question. How do we release then? How do we release people from our, from our, our judgment, our uh, personal desire for vengeance? And I had a little illustration, and, and then uh, Russell messed it up. No. Uh, but I think if I describe it, you'll get the idea. I normally will have somebody... Uh, come and come and play God and, and hand me some money. Russell was going to hand me. He's very, very used to handing me money. Very unused to getting it back. But I was going to have him hand me some money, say 20 quid, and then I was going to have one of you come and steal some of it. All of a sudden, now was that a wrong thing to do? The stealing, the thieving. Do I have a reason to be upset? Is there a debt? Yes, there's a debt. Something has been stolen from me. But everything I had came from God in the first place. Everything, even my dignity, everything I have as a human being, anything you could possibly take, even if it's just my place in the queue or my, you know, you could cut me off while I'm driving. That was a freedom that I had to drive. God gave me that. Everything I have is God-given. Every right I have, if I have any, are God-given. So you could steal something. You could even steal my life, couldn't you? But I got it from God. So that releasing, the first part of that releasing is transferring the debt, right? So you owe me something because you stole from me. And forgiving you doesn't mean I even get that back. But it means what I'm saying is I step out of the equation and say, you know what? You stole from me and that was wrong. That was wrong. I'm not saying it was okay. It was a wrong thing to do. But everything I had came from God anyway. And so your problem is now with God. I'm stepping out. There is a God who judges justly, and I'm taking myself out of the equation. Secondly, whenever there is somebody to stop judging, there is somebody that you need to release from. Sorry, if there's somebody, every time there's somebody you need to forgive, there's somebody that you need to release from your judgment. Judging and and unforgiveness are, are completely linked In order to judge you, because what I'm doing is evaluating what you've done, and I'm saying that's wrong, right? 
If I did it, it would be wrong. What makes you think you can get away with it? So I know it's wrong. But if I'm judging you, I'm putting myself a little bit above you and saying, no matter what the provocation, I would never do what you did. I'm a little bit better. And the other thing, and we're, boy, we're good at this. I know why you did that. I know your motives. I know the secrets of your heart. I know your motives. Folks, we know nobody's motives. We know nobody's heart. We might think we do. Maybe you think he can make a great guess, but you're not God. None of us are God. So here's the thing we need to remember. Every single time we have somebody to forgive, there is only one judge, and it ain't me. There is a judge who judges justly. We have to believe that, and we've been so quiet about that in church. We're ashamed of the judgment of God, but it is not the problem. It is the answer to the problem. One day, every wrong is going to be put right because God is just. Where do you think you got that sense of justice that makes you so upset if somebody wrongs you? Where do you think you got that from? Do you think animals feel that? You got that from God because you were made in his image, and part of that is that desire for justice that makes you so angry if somebody hurts you or offends you or does something, takes your rights away. So you're left with a little bit of a conflict there, aren't you? I've got this natural feeling that comes from being made in the image of God, and yet now I've got to release that. We'll get to the how of that in a minute. And thirdly, so transfer the debt, release from our judgment, and thirdly, be open to reconciliation of relationship. That's where it gets tricky. That's where the rubber hits the road. Now, if somebody's abusive and... and, um, there's no change. They're not repentant. I think you need to be really careful about reconciliation of relationship. I think sometimes it's very unwise. And if, you, you know, if you're in a position where uh, you're being harmed or somebody else is being harmed, it's not about every time you forgive, you're back straight back in with your full trust. It doesn't really work like that. If we don't repent, does God forgive us? No, there needs to be a repentance. There needs to be a repentant heart. But the point is... I'm open to reconciliation of relationship. Now, most of the time, I'm absolutely not. I don't want, you know, you've hurt me. Yeah, okay, I forgive you. <laughs> but don't come near me. You know, I don't, I don't want to love you. I don't, wanna, don't really want to be in the same room with you. There was somebody that uh, wrote me a nasty, na- probably the nastiest email I've ever had, kind of detailing the ways in which I was failing my children and, uh, and I had forgotten about it until a story that I'm going to tell you at the end, which is kind of a, a, an embarrassing one, so something to look forward to. But uh, Russell reminded me, we were kind of hashing over some painful things that had happened during the uh, years in Windermere, and Russell reminded me of this email, and I, ooh, you know, I had forgotten all about that, and the bile was rising as soon as he said it. It was so hurtful. It was so unkind. And, you know, I probably thought I'd forgive. Sometimes you forgive and there's still pain. And what you need is some healing from the Lord and only he can do that. Um, but this went further and I found that out a few weeks later when I was actually asked <laughs> to speak at a ladies meeting uh, situated in our old church in Windermere. And uh, that woman didn't even live in the area. They were from down south, but uh, she happened to be visiting. And she walked in that room and my first thought was, don't make eye talk. 
eye contact. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to smile at you. I don't want to, you know, please don't sit by me. What do you think she did? <laughs> Debbie! Because she, would, she hadn't been hurt, you know. <laughs> she, she probably felt great when she wrote that email. Boy, that's off my chest. But I'm so, so glad that she did. Because in the, in the weeks between my remembering that and seeing her, uh, I completely released her from my, from my judgment and my unforgiveness, my desire to get back at her. And I think in that moment, I was put to the test, am I open to a reconciliation of relationship? And that is really where the rubber hit the road. And the answer, in the end was yes. Yes, I was. I was forced into it, but I was, you know. I was happy that she came and sat with me. I was happy that now I have a, a positive image of this woman who, I, who had really haunted me, if I'm honest. Mention of her name was so painful. There's only one judge. You know that wonderful verse? We all know it. Micah 6, 8. God has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. There's three things, aren't there? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We've all memorized it. We sing it. It's nice, isn't it? It's nice. It's nice. Thanks, Russell. You're a sweetheart. I love justice, don't you? When you're the one that's done the wrong, then I love it. And I love mercy, love mercy, when I'm the one that's done wrong. I'm a big fan of mercy when I've been an idiot. You know what I don't love so much? I bet you can guess, but I'm going to spell it out for you anyway. I do not like justice when I'm the one that's been wrong. I can't stand it then. That's not, that doesn't seem fair. Come on, give me a chance. And I do not love mercy when somebody has wronged me. That's why it's written, I think. And you know what it takes? It takes humility. You've got to walk humbly with your God. So there's a lot of relationships in this room. And there are a lot represented by this room. You've got people in your lives. You've got neighbors. You've got parents or children or spouses or whatever. So let's talk briefly about those little daily forgivenesses. There's a wonderful uh, verse that says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And that's whenever you get those uh, things at weddings where people say, hey, write some advice for the bride and groom. Somebody always writes that. Do you know why? Because they're not dumb. They've lived that. Do you know what I think it is? Do you know why I think that's a thing? Because if you've upset me, I've got this, 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 all these feelings, this mishmash of feelings. And then I go to bed, and I wake up, and it's a new day. And those feelings have simmered down. They might be half. Yeah? Half? And what happens after a week? You've been distracted. You've got over it. It's fine, isn't it? It's fine, fine. Not even angry anymore. Not even angry. What happens when they do it again? See, because there was a little spark 
that was ignited when it happened and you didn't deal with it. And it's fine because that just, you know, didn't even notice it after a while. But the second time they did it, ooh, little log went on the fire. So, you know, Russell and I get married, you know, lovey-dovey eyes, and then, you know, one day he leaves his sock on the floor. Two socks. What does he think I'm his maid? Oh, pick it up. He's so nice. It's worth it. It's worth it to pick up his socks. Not that this ever happened. I went away one time for, I think, was it four days? And I wrote him a list, you know, please water the plants, please hoover upstairs, and please pick up the eight socks next to the bed. And you laughed, didn't you, because it was absolutely true. (laughs) But, you know, the next day, if the socks are there, it's like, oh, but he does think I'm his maid. Whatever. And then as time goes on, because I haven't dealt with it, I've got a raging inferno going on over something as stupid as socks. You know when you've got a reaction to something that is way overblown, way bigger than the offense, that's because there's a trigger there. That's because it's hitting something else that happened probably years ago that you haven't dealt with. And that's press that same button. You know, because it only takes my kids to leave their towel on the bathroom floor, and I'm like, what, do you think I'm your maid? And I start exploding because I'm triggered because I have unforgiveness about a stupid sock. And sometimes, and that's a perfect example, actually, sometimes the offense is real. Russell's given me very little real offense, to be honest, over these years. Uh, Whenever he got upset with me, ever, even if since the beginning of our marriage, Russell's always gone away, thought about what's being triggered in me. And then he's come back all processed and lovely. I was not exactly like that, but he's caused me very little deliberate pain over, you know, or, or, you know, kind of outright injustice or whatever. But the number of imagined things, he did that because, or what does he think I'm whatever. So that leads me to say, we sometimes need to forgive in these daily relationships the imagined offenses, you know, because sometimes we let those go. We think, well, they probably didn't mean that. Yeah, but it hurt. That's the point. It hurt. The spark is there. So maybe next time they'll do the same thing and they will mean it. And you've got a fire already. So even if somebody upsets you and they didn't mean anything by it, my thought is deal with that before the sun goes down because you don't want, you don't want a fire of bitterness in your heart. Sometimes in relationships, as you all know, confrontation is necessary. You know, if Russell did the thing a thousand times, or I did the thing a thousand times, which is probably far more likely, you might need to say, you know, I don't like it when you do that. That might need to be the case. But, and I'm being really practical now, confrontation has one purpose, and that is reconciliation. It's not about venting our spleen, because that sometimes is just a cover-up because I don't want to forgive. I'm going to push it all back on you. You're the only one that has any responsibility here. But if, it is, if we do need to confront, it's about carrying on the relationship without having this constant stumbling block. And that's fair enough. It's scriptural. If somebody sins against you, confront them. But the goal is restoration, not just feeling better because you confronted something. And that happens a lot, doesn't it? You confront something, and boy, you feel good. You've left somebody you know, bloodied and battered, but you feel great because you confront it. But it's about restoration. It's about openness. It's about a posture 
of reconciliation. So what's my posture towards the irritating people? Let's face it, sometimes church people, irritating. We went to a church, and I was, you know, all of like 25 years old, so I was super mature, and this guy was really bugging me. He was, he was, he was an older guy. And everything, you know what I'm talking about. Everything the guy did wound me up. Everything he did. I guy's so unsanctified. And I knew all his motives because he was just a jerk. And, you know, some people are just hard, right? And one, night, one day he did something that I just thought was so annoying and so petty. Really petty. Petty guy. And I stomped home and I was like, Lord, how am I supposed to treat this guy? How am I supposed to forgive this guy? He's done it again. And I could prove to everyone, if I were to tell you, of course, from my perspective, I could make you all convinced that the guy was dead wrong. Maybe he was. Still pretty sure he was. And I said to the Lord, how am I, how am I supposed to forgive this guy? How, you, you show me how am I supposed to love this guy. Right? And I felt the, like the Lord said to me, well, has he repented? Has he been, has he been up all night last night repenting? I'm like, well, I don't know. I couldn't possibly know that. And he said, no, and you never will. So go back and treat him as though he has. Go back and treat him as though he's right with me. That's where the rubber hits the road. That's a posture of reconciliation. That requires climbing down off my little judgment seat, doesn't it? And letting, you know, handing the gavel over to the Lord Jesus and saying, okay, there's only one judge, and it ain't me. So how? How do I release people? How do I forgive? How do I do it? Okay, let's be practical. It's a choice. If you wait until you feel like forgiving, when are you going to forgive? Probably never. You're never going to feel like releasing people when they've been unjust, when they've offended you, when they've hurt you. You're not going to feel like it. It is a choice. It's a choice. Now, I recognize that some things are these little stupid socks and dirty mugs and whatever that that I mentioned, but there are huge, huge, huge things in our lives. Some of us have had horrific experiences, very unjust And we really have been robbed. And it has been wrong. And they've taken things that we will never get back. And left us with memories and pains and stuff that we will never uh, be completely separated from. Either way, forgiveness is a choice. Not based on our feelings. Feelings might be there. They might never get there. But forgiveness is a choice. But you might say, but Debbie, doesn't Matthew 18 say that God won't forgive you if you don't forgive each other from the heart? And that's that's a troubling one, isn't it? That's a troubling one. Does that mean my feelings are supposed to actually be, you know, oh, so happy to forgive you? You know, I'm a little troubled by that, but I don't think that that's the case. Everything in the Christian life is by faith. Every command that God has ever given us, we obey by faith. By faith. 
I heard something. I, I'd never heard this before. I thought this was wonderful. Uh, I usually say to people, you know, you, you, the way you can love your enemies is you can do good to those who hurt you. You can pray for those who persecute you. Jesus always gives the love in scripture. Is always, it's always active, isn't it? Self-sacrificial, and it's active. God so loved that he gave. It's not just a feeling, a nice warm feeling of affection, you know. So, so we can still love each other. I could still love that guy I struggled so much with by doing good to him, by sacrificing for him, even if I didn't want to do that. But I, here is this from the heart thing. Here's what I heard the other day, and this was from a pastor. I was listening to something online. And uh, he said, I, I try and practice loving people by faith. And I thought, what the heck is this? He said, if there's somebody in my church and I don't want to approach them, I make a beeline for them, and I trust the Lord that by the time my hand gets out there to shake their hand, the love I need will be there. Oh, I love that. Isn't that wonderful? We talk about living by faith as though it's some extravagant thing out there in the, in the wilds of Africa. That's living by faith. That is living by faith. And that is where the rubber hits the road in the Christian life. So we forgive, you know, you say, well, I can't. What they did was so awful. Yes, what they did was so awful. And know in your own strength you cannot forgive from the heart. But scripture says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the very Jesus Christ that told you that you must forgive empowers you to forgive. If he expected you to do it from your own strength, well, He knows you're going to fail. He knows you're going to fail. So when you say, I can't do it, Lord, I can't forgive them, I can't forgive them, what are you proving? Just doing it in your own strength. You're right, you can't. You can't. Everything by faith. Everything in the Christian life. It's it's anything you can't do that Christ tells you to do. You've got to be willing I can't, but I'm willing. I'm willing for you to change my heart. Sometimes he asks hard things. Move here, get that job, do this, do that. Lord, I can't, but I'm willing. I'm willing. It's God that is at work at us to do and to work for his good pleasure. If your posture is, I can't, so I won't, then the answer is, you can't because you won't. And to that I say, Matthew six fourteen to 15. If you don't forgive, if you forgive, the Lord will forgive you. If you don't forgive, the Lord will not forgive you. And I have <laughs> been in church pretty much all my life. My parents got saved in the Jesus movement in Los Angeles in the early 1970s, two days before my first birthday. My dad uh, became a Christian while watching telly like a good American. And uh, I've been in church since then, since that moment, nearly 50 years. And I've heard every which way to dodge the thorns in that scripture, haven't you? <laughs> I, don't, I only know of one uh, preacher, Zach Poonin from, from India, who would say, that means that if you don't forgive, God is going to heap up every single one of your sins back on your head when you stand before him. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I, you know, I kind of think that makes a little bit more sense to the verse than the way we usually do it. <laughs> Doesn't it? What if it did mean that? Here's a question. What if it did mean that? 
What if it did? What if it does? Now, I think the whole thing, as we said in the very beginning, the whole thing is contingent on knowing how much we're forgiven. And I didn't want to read. You've, you've, got, to, you've got to choose, haven't you? you? I always feel like a failure before I do anything like this because you know you're going to miss things out. And it would have been lovely to read the, that whole uh, parable in, in Matthew 18. You can read it when you get home where, where it's the, the servant that's been forgiven a huge debt. And then he finds somebody that owes him a fiver and he starts ragging him around. And he beats him up. And he's going to put him in jail until he pays him back. Did he owe him a debt? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Is what the guy did wrong? Yes, it's wrong. But Jesus' point is so obvious. What, are you going to stand there at the cross watching the naked Son of God agonizingly die for your sins and explain to him why your, your unforgiveness is, is justified? Is that what you're going to do? <laughs> Puts a pretty ridiculous slant on it, doesn't it? People have hurt you, yes. Legitimate, awful things, yes. But do you know what you've done to God? Have you recognized that those sins that he's suffering for, that Christ is suffering for, are your sins? Your sins. And if you were the only person, you know the old line, if you were the only person in the world, he would have still had to do all that. And you would have been the one nailing him there. So do you know that God has forgiven you? Because that's the basis for forgiveness. And if the answer is no, I have two options, two thoughts. One, maybe he hasn't. It's a controversial thing to say from a pulpit, isn't it? But maybe he hasn't. Maybe you're not in a position where you have repented and trusted that Jesus has paid the full price for every single one of your sins, past, present, and future, and no longer holds them against you. Do you know that? Has the penny dropped? So if you have repented and you have put your faith in Christ, has the penny dropped? As it says in, I think it's 2 Corinthians 5, he does not hold our transgressions against us. That's a phenomenal thought. As we heard this morning, we don't come to God. The basis for our coming before God is not anything that we have done. We are wearing Jesus Christ. We are clothed in Christ. And so when we come before God, we are guaranteed entrance because of him. Nothing that we've done. Secondly, if you don't know you're forgiven, you need to, if you've repented and put your faith in Christ, that he has paid that debt, you need to accept by faith that he forgives you. And pray for the penny to drop. Pray for, pray for that penny to drop. The price is fully paid. And my, I had a friend that said this to me, um, and she said it in both the contexts that I'm saying it to you. Debbie, there's only one judge, and it ain't you. And that goes both ways. That goes for forgiveness with other people. But that also goes, if Christ has declared you justified, who are you to start shaking your sins and going, no, 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 you're wrong. I'm the judge on this one. Was Christ's blood not enough? There's only one judge, and it ain't you, and it ain't me, and thank God for that. Finally, my embarrassing story. 
This is more than embarrassing. It's kind of a really shameful story. So please don't judge me for this. But it makes an excellent sermon illustration. And, uh, and we lived it, didn't we, Russell? We lived it. <laughs> so I don't know how many years ago now. Uh, it's before we moved to Windermere. Oh, eight. 2008, my mother's mother passed away. That's my grandmother. Yes, I was just being, I was being concise, clear, Russell, just accurate. Granny passed away. And my cousin, who I have no relationship whatsoever in America, did what I thought was a really, really weird thing. So I got a knock on the door one day, and a little box said, Ashes. And there was Grandma Molly, a third of Grandma Molly, in a little box in my hands. Now, she, it's, it's a strange thing, actually. Her parents were from Wigan. So my great-grandparents were actually from, from Wigan. They came over uh, from Liverpool in 1910, which is just super weird. So I came home. In fact, we got married on July the 3rd. It's like the day before America celebrates its independence from this country. I've bound myself for life. <laughs> oh, the irony. So grandma was <laughs> So grandma came back to the motherland in the form of these ashes. And I thought, I, I don't know what's I've never done anything like this before. I don't know it. So grandma went on a shelf because I kind of don't know what, what I'm doing here. And then we moved. Our next move, uh, the Lord opened up this wonderful door, and we moved to this house in the woods on about an acre of woodland. And if we walked up a little hill opposite... Uh, this was just outside Bowness. If we walked up a little hill opposite, we got a view of the whole of Windermere and the, the mountains beyond, and it was just amazing. And we paid peanuts for the rent, and the Lord was just so good to us. It was such a blessing after a four-year wilderness that was, that was just so painful. And we had ducks, and we had chickens, and, and Grandma loved ducks. And I always thought, I think I need to scatter Grandma's ashes up on that hill. I bet you can't. I bet you can't. <laughs> so me being me, I put that on my to-do list at about number 9,208, where it stayed, until we moved away seven years later. And Grandma came to our next house in Windermere. And then Russell joined the Navy. And we all moved to Plymouth. All of us, including Grandma. And then uh, we moved back to Wharton four years ago. It's been a long time now. And I've got this massive guilt, right? I've just got this massive weight of guilt. But what I didn't say was that during that time in Windermere, Russell was pastor, and it, end, it didn't end well. It seemed like toward the end, the church, and it was a very tiny church, 25 people, uh, and so in the beginning, everyone was on the same page, and it was just the most wonderful, lovely fellowship you've been, haven't you? You guys came. Uh, that's where we met uh, Mark and Joe. Wonderful place, but at the end, inexplicably, at least to us, and we've never found out why, the people just withheld their friendship and support for reasons we never understood. And that was very painful. And that's, that affected our kids as well, and they were going through a terrible time. Our eldest daughter hated the house in the woods. She cried for two years like somebody had died. 
she grieved. She's an extrovert. We were in the middle of nowhere. And uh, it was just, it was painful. It was hard. Culminating in a nearly successful suicide attempt. Very, very nearly successful. Uh, A lot of factors, as you can imagine, went in to that. But the pain started there at that beautiful house. So many things started there. And uh, back back up to the present. So maybe, what was it, like a year ago, Russell said, I'm going to take all those cupboards out of the garage. And I said, ah, um, when you do... (laughs) When you do that, there's something I really, really need to deal with. I said, I, can you please go and find my grandmother? I said, we've got to do this. I feel terrible. I'm never telling anyone that I did this, except now that I, I tell the whole world everywhere I go, because it's just such a good story. Uh, he said, well, where would you like to do it? And I said, well, I, I'd really like to do it back up at our old house on that hill. And so we found ourselves parked outside that old house, and all that pain came back. All that pain. We sat there in the driveway. And do you remember, it was just, so actually I'm putting this, it's, this, is, this happened in two different stages. We went up there one day, and the pain came back, and then it was Grandma's ashes. We, we got to deal with Grandma's ashes. Let's go back there. We had to park right in front of our old house because there was, it was just like the only place to park, and we had to walk a very familiar walk down the hill, cross the little play park, and, and, and make our way up this quite big hill. And the whole way, as soon as we got out of the car, I was carrying something that I had been carrying for far too long. A lot of things that we had been carrying for far too long. And there was guilt involved in that, and there was pain involved in that, and there was a lot of unforgiveness involved in that. And I think when there's been deep pains in our lives, sometimes we withhold our trust from God to a certain extent, don't we? And that has to go back. We have to. People call it forgiving God. I think that's a really weird way of putting it. I would put it this way. What are the areas in which I've played God because God didn't do it well enough last time? And I'm going to choose by faith, because I might not feel like it, to put my trust back in the Lord to protect me in those ways that maybe I felt like he didn't. And you can ask him. It's okay to ask him, Lord, where were you? Where were you? We've seen him answer that question, haven't we, in in miraculous ways. So all the way up the hill, we talked. All we did was talk about all these We hashed up all this old pain. Why did the Lord allow us to move this beautiful place and then make Sophie so unhappy? Why this? Why that? Why did the church, you know, and then there was that email. And then, you know, we just hashed all these other things over. And at the top, I didn't want to kind of steal Grandma's thunder by making it all about us, but so we gave Grandma a little send-off. And then we, we scattered those ashes. And with it, a lot of other things that we had carried for far too long. And then Russell did a really strange thing. We lived there for seven years, and he started walking a way that we never walked before. And I thought, how appropriate. When we release things that we've held on to for far too long, we begin to walk a new way. There is a freedom. Sometimes we hold on to things because we think we're free. There is a freedom with releasing things, a liberty that you cannot even imagine that God has for you, and you won't know it until you see it, until you get there. So here's my question. Have you got things that you've been carrying for too long? 
And are you willing to lay them to rest? Let's pray. Lord, in our nature, we just are not merciful. We want mercy from others, but we don't want to extend it. We want uh, restoration, but we don't want to give that to others. We want people to reconcile to us, but, but it, by nature, we want to withhold our fellowship from people that we don't like or who have hurt us. I pray for anyone here, Lord, everyone here, who's got things in our lives that you're just putting your finger on now. And I pray that you would give us each that posture of willingness, that posture of being open to reconciliation. I pray that you would do a miracle in our lives, and even if it's things we've held on to since way back in childhood, and we've just never known how to deal with it or thought we had to, I pray that you would show us now or or in the coming days who we need to forgive and help us to walk by faith and forgive those people as an act of our will and obedience to Christ and enjoy the freedom and the blessing of being merciful. We trust you, Lord, that one day you will put right all the wrongs in the world. And we trust you that you are the judge. And we thank you that we are not. We thank you for our forgiveness. Thank you for the enormity of your forgiveness for what we've done. And we, <laughs> we haven't a clue how vile our sin has been and how awful our crimes against you. We thank you that you paid that price in full. We pray that we would experience the freedom that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.